We are back after a brief hiatus. Meliora Medical Group coming back at you again with another podcast. Uh, we've missed you. We hope that you've missed us. Um, once again, I am joined by my very good friend and guru of all things lifestyle medicine, Dr. Alex Maxwell. Alex, how are you doing? Yeah, bonjour, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thanks. Slightly worse for wear after yesterday. Um, social yeah, distance, yeah. socially distanced points, obviously very responsible. Um, but it was nice to see a few people. How are you getting on? Yeah, yeah, really good. Doing lots of DIY, um, prepping the house to sell. So um, learning lots of new skills like plastering and things. Um, and doing That's what this lockdown's all about. Yeah, very, very average at the moment, but there we are. I'm sure you're making great progress. Um, let's start with a few questions uh, from last week. So obviously last week we spoke about nutrition, which was mm. great. Um, we've got a question from Matt in Clapham. Matt, thanks very much for your question. Matt says, I'm considering going vegan. Um, yeah. but I've heard about vitamin supplements. What supplements do I need to be taking to make up the things that I might not be getting in my diet if I go vegan? Oh, that's a great question. And Matt, thank you very much. I mean, the first thing I would say is if you want to go vegan because of your reasons, that's a great idea. Um, there is good evidence that including more plants in your diet is likely to make you more healthy. Now, it doesn't have to be solely plants. And with being vegan, that you would be having solely plant-based and no animal products whatsoever. So you do have to think a little bit about being um, a sensible vegan and not someone who tries to um, work veganism to the detriment of their health because you can eat poorly as a vegan. Yeah. So some processed foods can be vegan and they can be very bad for you. Chips are vegan. doesn't mean that, you know, they're delicious, but it doesn't mean they're the most healthy thing in the world. Yeah, of course. So... I mean, this is, a, this is a topic in its own right, but I would recommend that you have good quality B12 because that can be very challenging to get from a primarily uh, plant-based diet. It's a good idea to get a bit more vitamin D and you get that through the sun and also you can get it through uh, supplementation. And also think about some omega-3s. Now, the omega-3s and you know, the fat, fatty acids that we're talking about, you can get from um, fish oils. You know, you talk about fatty fish. Now, those fatty fish, they actually get it from algae. Um, so it is possible to supplement that, and that's the DHA and EPA omega-3s, um, and you can look that up. But basically what they are is uh, fatty acids that are really good for your health generally, um, and I would recommend you supplement them, and you can get them, them from an algae source as well as some nuts and seeds and things as well. Brilliant. I really like that phrase, a sensible vegan. Uh, yeah like not not doing it for definitely health yeah and i don't mean that vegans aren't sensible i just think that it's important not to get the story of veganism which is so important because it is you know it, it can be an ethical moral as well as health yeah of course but just making sure that you're not doing it to the detriment of your health and those three things in particular would be useful if you're female or uh get through quite a lot of um exercise adding iron in there and if you're really really looking to tie it down maybe iodine um magnesium and zinc are things that you think about selenium but generally those those three that i started at the beginning are the most important great well matt we uh, we wish you luck on your journey through veganism um hopefully that has helped you out a little bit um second question second and final question comes from uh, a friend of the show someone who's actually proven to be a big fan of the show we've got alex in macclesfield um, Alex, thanks very much for getting in touch with us. He said that recently he's found that he's been suffering from heartburn quite frequently. Mm -hmm. um, 
Is this to do with the food that he's eating? And is there anything he can do or eat to help him? Yeah. And that, um, that's a common question. Um, and one that I see a lot as a GP. And heartburn, I think the first thing to say is heartburn can be completely innocuous and of no concern, but it also can be serious. So if it continues for over a month, or um, you're experiencing other symptoms like struggling with swallowing or weight loss or vomiting, you should come and see your GP, come and see me, because we want to see you and look after you then. But generally it's not. Most of the time it's just a bit of irritation in the, wind, in the food pipe or the stomach. Yes, nutrition can play a big part in that. And there are also other factors. So my general advice is reduce your spicy, rich, large and uh, hot meals. Hot drinks, caffeine and alcohol, things like caffeine as well can impact it. So just calming it down with a, a slightly more plain diet for a few weeks can really help. But also thinking about um, your stress, your weight, and smoking can really impact on your experience of heartburn. So generally, uh, oh, and it's worth mentioning anti-inflammatory. So young, you know, young athletes doing lots of sport, taking a few ibuprofen a day, mm -hmm. that can really um, that can really impact your heartburn and give you ulcers as well. So generally, there's quite a few reasons why you can get heartburn. A few ways to help it there as well. And my top tip is to. Um, you, you can put a, a book or something underneath the, the top bits of your bed to raise up the head of your bed a little bit by 10 centimeters. And that can prevent acid going up into your mouth and into your uh, food pipe when you're sleeping. And that can help it if you do that for a couple of weeks just to get on back on top of it. That's a great tip. I like that a lot. Um, knowing Alex as well as I do, um, Alex in Macclesfield, a lot of this makes sense. I can understand, you know, you were sort of listing some of the causes. Um, mm -hmm. I can understand why Alex is maybe suffering with his uh, heartburn. But Alex, hopefully those tips uh, help you out and uh, we wish you the very best of luck. And if it doesn't clear up, then as uh, our very own Dr. Alex has said, make sure you go and see your GP. Uh, great advice, right. So today we're gonna to be talking about movement. And when you sent me this deck of slides, the first thing that struck me was why are we calling it movement? Like we're talking about exercise here, right? Why are we yeah. calling it movement? Yeah, so over years of talking to people about movement and, ex and exercise, and I've noticed that people react quite negatively to the word exercise. I think it's because there are preconceived kind of ideas of what that is. And I think it doesn't tell the whole story. So I prefer to use the word movement or physical activity because it encompasses all types of movement Whereas exercise is just literally exercising. So if I were to ask you, you know, so you got out of bed and went downstairs and maybe popped to the shops, would you call that exercise? No, no, not at all. Right. But it's still movement and it still yeah. counts towards helping keep you healthy, mobile, um, stops you being sedentary and needs to be counted in your day to day life. So I think it's important to get rid of those barriers with exercise and help people understand that it's more about the movement that you do and that encompasses exercise. I think that's so important, talking about barriers. You're right, I've never given it much thought, but actually when you say exercise, you know, you think about like being a teacher myself, you think about exercise books and different exercises mm -hmm. you do, it actually has got a few negative uh, connotations. It makes it sound a bit like a chore. So uh, I can totally understand why we're calling it movement. I really, really like that. 
Um, you spoke about, you know, uh, you know, popping down to the shops, a 10 minute walk and stuff like that. What counts as, you know, movement that I can count as exercise and making myself healthy? Yeah. So I guess there's two parts of it. There's not being sedentary, mm-hmm. like I was talking about. So that is breaking up, sitting or lying. So being sedentary in itself is an independent risk factor for disease. And what I mean by that is in the same way that if you smoke a pack of cigarettes and then go for a jog, that didn't stop the fact that you smoked a pack of cigarettes. So if you sit all day, up until a point, you can't undo sitting all day by moving. So if you sat for 18 hours of the day and then did half an hour's exercise, that wouldn't get rid of that. So that's important to remember. Breaking up being sedentary is one thing. And then activity exercise well we talk about moderate and vigorous intensity exercise moderate is when you can talk but not sing you're a bit warm and a little bit out of breath Mm -hmm. you can still kind of get some words out and then vigorous activity i think we all know and hate to love and love to hate is a bit more like where you can get a few gasps out but you definitely couldn't hold a conversation absolutely blowing yeah yeah i know that one well um okay so we've got our two types um i love what you're saying as well about being sedentary i think that's so important particularly now in our sort of current day-to-day lives you know people working from home spending you know vast vast amounts of time just sat on their backsides at a laptop um and like you say you can't undo that so what should people be doing you know standing desks is that a thing or how do we fix it well i think the main thing to do is a be aware of it and b so then you can change it and then b and I'll go back to A, being aware of it and understanding the implications of it. So if you understand that it affects you negatively and you don't want it to, then you have to put it, being aware of it allows you to think a little bit about changing it. And then B, it's about thinking about your environment. It's a bit like planning ahead with food prep and nutrition. Your environment defines what you eat, what you do, what you move, what you react to. So if your environment is entirely sedentary, with chairs everywhere, not the ability to stand, as you say, um, no difficulty in the movement patterns of your life. You've got chairs everywhere, no facilities for just standing and watching TV or, yeah. or, or sitting on the floor and watching TV or you know, doing more kind of natural, what I would call human movement, natural human poses of rest, like squatting and sitting and kneeling and lunging, then you're not going to do it. So it's being aware of it and taking control of it. Um, that helps you to do that. Massively important. Um, now we all know, everyone knows that exercise movement is good for you. There are so many benefits. Why don't you hit us with some facts and show us just how beneficial, you know, movement yeah. and exercise can be for for the body and the mind, well, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And separating those out, as you say, is is a false separation, isn't it? Because that we're all it's all physical. Um, yeah. So the guidance currently on the amount of exercise that we want to do is about 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise a week so that's about 30 minutes five times uh, Mm -hmm. in a week or obviously you can break it up in different ways or 75 minutes of vigorous exercise so less vigorous exercise has um, the majority of the benefits that you do and actually if you do no exercise you do a little bit you gain lots and lots Whereas if you already do lots of exercise and you do a little bit extra, you don't gain anywhere near so much. So it's important to remember that it's worth starting doing even a little bit because it makes a huge amount of difference. Can so, I ask you, 
you're yeah. sorry, Alex. You're saying 150 minutes of exercise. If I went for a two-hour run one day and then did nothing for the rest of the week, is that really bad, or am I still, you know, ticking the boxes and saying, yeah, I'm I'm being healthy and getting my exercise in, or should I be spreading it out over the days? I think that's a complicated question, but in summary, I would suggest it's better to break it up and do it regularly. That's for a few reasons. Probably because if you're only doing that once a week, you're a bit more likely to injure yourself. Um, and also you don't get the benefits of the regular exercise, breaking up, being sedentary. Um, and uh, yes, I would suspect, I would look through the literature a bit more carefully, but I would su suspect that it's better to do it in chunks, smaller chunks. Yeah, that just uh, occurred to me just now whilst you were saying it. Um, so exercise, movement, we know obviously it can reduce your risk of diabetes and stuff like that, but what else? Mm. And I think people don't realise how um, effective it is at helping your health. And I think if people did know, then they would be more likely to try and do it because it's generally low risk, high yield, it's not generally expensive. Yeah. Um, it's much more effective than most of the pills that people quite regularly a prescribe as a doctor and and b take as a, as a, as a person who, who's been asked to take them so for example you know we mentioned diabetes it, it, meeting those 150 minutes reduces your chance of having diabetes that's type 2 diabetes the one that we get um if you're a bit older and possibly overweight and some genetic factors not the one that you develop um entirely through your genes um, by 40%. Um, Massive. Also, yeah, it is huge, actually, isn't it? Um, and that's not even accounting for weight, you know, so you might lose some weight as well, and that would even uh, improve it more likely. Um, you know, so things like um, cardiovascular disease, heart attacks and strokes and things like that reduces 30%. And these are, these are quite obvious. You'd expect mm. exercise to impact that. But then thinking about colon cancer, breast cancer, reduces that by about 20% as well. That's a fifth. So five yeah. women in a room who got breast cancer, one of them might not have done with the statistics not working yeah, quite as, well. Yeah, of course. But yeah, as uh, if, if they were meeting the exercise requirements. It's very, very effective. And I think it's also worth mentioning that one of the most um, important causes of loss of independence when you're older is through inability to be independent with your activities of daily living. And if you can't squat, or get yourself up or out of the bath if you fall, mm -hmm. then you are starting to lose your independence. And that is because of strength. Um, it's often not fitness. And that's an important thing to remember. Yes, fitness is an absolutely important component of, of health, but actually strength is often undertrained and is a very important part of the requirements recommended. So it's not only 150 minutes of exercise that's not just aerobic or endurance exercise that is strength exercise they recommend twice a week and i would recommend you know as often as you like and i often start people who are overweight on a bit of strength training because they're often quite strong um and instead of hurting themselves through doing lots of um exercise that they're not used to starting to build up a bit of strength can give them a boost in their metabolism and confidence um, and then I do very low impact exercise alongside that um, to get them uh, and their heart and lungs going a bit. So, so I mean, we talk about removing barriers hmm. for someone that doesn't want to join a gym or something. How can they do strength training at home? What are you getting you know, your patients to do? 
So there's so many different options. And I think the, the first thing to say is, talking about barriers, because it's a great concept. If I talk with someone about exercise or movement, often there are yes, but responses. Mm. So, um, yeah, but it hurts. Yes, but I'm worried about injuring myself. Yes, but I don't have the time. Um, it costs money. I don't have the equipment, etc., etc. So it's very important in regards to your exercise to consider what's going on in your head when you're thinking about it. If you get it out there and you're aware of it, you write it down, all your barriers, you often will be able to counter them or at least be aware of them and mitigate them. And my advice to people generally, if they're looking to exercise, is identify those barriers first and decide if they're meeting what they want to do. If they're expressing what they want to do in their head or if they're acting differently from how they would want to. Because as soon as you identify those barriers, then you'll be much more likely to change. Um, so exercises at home, to get back to your question, there's so many. Um, and it depends on your level of strength and conditioning and things. But... I mean, squats, you can sit down very easily to your couch or to a chair, stand mm -hmm. back up again without using your hands. It'd be very, very unusual to harm yourself. And that, if you did that a few times in an advert break for an hour's programme, you did it three times, you're very, very likely to strengthen up your legs. And actually, your legs have a great muscle mass and you're very likely to uh, reap the benefits of doing that. When you put it like that and you break it down like that, it is just so easy. You don't have to become an athlete. You don't need to you know, become a gym monkey. There's so many things that you can just do at home. Yeah. And like you say, reduce your risks of cancer by a fifth. And yeah. that, I think when you break it down and people hear that, I think it's going to be you know, really transformational for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, now, we at Meliora Medical Group, we love busting myths, don't we? Yeah. It is our favorite thing to do. Um, so we're going to bust some movement myths here today. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a myth. You get told the whole way through school, like throughout your whole life, before you exercise, it's really important to have a stretch. And I, I know I'd like to think I'm fairly fit. I go for a couple of runs. I stand outside my house. I stretch. I do all my leg stretches and everything like that. And I start running and I still feel tight. Yeah. Is static what I'm doing? Static stretching is that any good for me, or is that just a myth? Yeah. So static stretch. So let's work out what exactly when we're talking about. So static stretching like that for twenty seconds, thirty seconds before you go for a run. But if you're thinking that might help you with muscle soreness later or with um, injuries later, very unlikely to help very much at all. Possibly it might slightly help with um, very specific injuries at the junction between your tendon and your muscle, possibly. Yeah. But, but no, essentially no, not really. If you're asking, is it a good warm-up? The answer is no. So what should I be doing to warm-up? What is a good warm-up? A good warm-up, and that's a, an amazing answer. It should include a general warm-up movement that is very low impact and low intensity. So static, uh, like walking, static biking, um, very, very gentle movements to get yeah. the blood flow going, get your muscles a little bit warmer and, and just, you know, for five or 10 minutes and then do a movement specific warm up. And I know I'm being vague, but for example, if you were going to do a run, what I would then add in after you're warm is uh, doing a few more um, things like skipping, okay. bum taps and high knees, 
Um, and, um, you know, when you do the warm up for sprinting back in the day in school, I don't know if you ever, they make you kick, kick your bum as you run along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, bum kicks. And, and do some more sports specific stuff. So it depends on what you're going to do. If you're going to swim, then I would do more shoulder based exercises, core based exercises. If you're going to box, then, you know, you could do some shadow boxing. Yeah. Um, and light stuff before you went. So it actually so, yeah. sounds like the, the movement and getting the blood flowing is the more important thing rather than what some people think, which is like, oh, I'm going to stretch the muscle and it's going to, you know, it's just going to work better and I'm not going to get injured. No. And in fact, for power exercises, things like jumping, sprinting, Olympic lifting, um, things like that, basketball, you know, it is detrimental to static stretch. It reduces your power output. And I'm, I'm cheating a bit here now and I'm asking an extra question when I shouldn't. But is that the same for when I'm finishing exercise? You know, people say, oh, make sure you cool down and stretch after exercise. Is it, is it the same? Should I not be static stretching there either? So peri-exercise, I would recommend that you warm up properly, do your exercise. And then I think there is a place for a cool down, but the evidence doesn't massively support it at the moment. But spending five, ten minutes just to do a, a bit of, again, gentle movement, yep. not necessarily static stretching, um, would I, I, I personally think is beneficial. Um, not cooling down too quickly. Static Brilliant. stretching outside of the exercise moment yeah. is, is, does have evidence, and anyone who tells you otherwise is probably missing the point a bit. It does have evidence with consistent effort. Static stretching does have evidence to lengthen your hamstrings or, or make you a bit more supple. Okay, so it has its place, certainly, yeah. but just it's not doing much of the warm up. Um, any myths you'd like to bust? Um, so one of the things I'm always um, a bit ret a bit careful of is when patients come in and they've just got their Fitbit and mm -hmm. they show me, oh, I've, I've, kept, I've burned 400 calories today just walking here, doc. And <laughs> I'm always a little bit cautious. So I went and did some reading about it. And there's a little bit of literature, but it's they're relatively new and there's not loads. Um, but it looks like the calories estimated by these things like Apple Watches and Garmin and, you know, there's lots. Yeah. They overestimate it by a moderate amount. I think the best was the Apple Watch on this study that I was reading, and it was 27% out. So almost a third, 30%, you know, it's quite a way off. So there's two points there. If you're thinking about exercise with regards to the amount of calories you're burning you're probably missing the point of exercise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, don't eat an apple or a Snickers or a scone and then think that you can do exercise to burn it off. And don't reward yourself for exercising with food because that's a loss that you're just going to lose because it's so easy to eat, as, you, as we all know. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's very easy. easy. More than you can burn. You know, you've got to run a mouth every time you look at a Snickers. So maybe <laughs> do that. Um, um, so that's my myth. I, people come in and they say, but look, and I say, well, just be careful. They are accurate with heart rate, I would say, but they're okay. not so accurate with calories. Okay. So there you go. Your, uh, your Fitbit or Apple Watch might be overestimating uh, how many calories you're burning. That's good to know. Um, a final myth. Let's bust. Um, I don't plan on doing this, but if I was to do, you know, 500 sit-ups a day for a year, I would immediately, you know, I'm guaranteed to get a great set of abs. Never going to happen for me. But uh, <laughs> sit-ups sit -ups get abs? Is it myth? 
Yeah, this is the thing, right? So there's that myth, isn't there, with like targeted fat loss. Um, uh -huh. And um, that unfortunately is a myth. Um, you, you can't stimulate fat loss in one area by doing exercises in that one area. You can change the shape of yourself in terms of silhouette. In aesthetics, they do that. You know, you make your shoulders bigger and you lose a bit of weight and yeah. you, you're, you, will, you will trim down and you'll have a bigger V, for example. But um, you can't target fat loss. And then the second thing is the old adage, isn't it? That I, and I think a lot of people, you know, maybe need reminding this, that abs are made in the kitchen. If you've Great got a saying. of abs, like Eddie Hall, right? He's lost a lot of weight recently. Yeah. Um, he was an absolute beast, the beast, wasn't yeah, he? The beast, the yeah, the beast. man. And then he's lost weight. He's probably lost 40 kilos now, hasn't he? He's got an amazing set of abs. Mm -hmm. when, really impressive, in fact. But when he was 30, 40 kilos heavier, you couldn't see them. Yeah. But he, but he had the strongest set of abs. I mean, deadlifting, for example, the, the muscle tension in your abs when you deadlift is phenomenal so when he deadlifted 500 kilos his the strength and size of his ab muscles would, would abdominal muscles would have been far greater than 99 percent of the world literally but you couldn't see them at all so no doing abs exercises is not going to give you great abs it might make them a bit bigger and therefore slightly more easily to see but actually you need to lose fat to be able to see them so abs really are made in the kitchen in linking back to our, our previous podcast on nutrition. Um, that's great to know. Um, so we always sort of finish on this podcast with your top tips. So mm. what are your top tips for the people listening surrounding movement? Yeah. So my top tips, the first one that we've kind of mentioned a little bit already, but it's break those barriers. Exercise is all about barriers. If you're aware of them, and if you start to take control of them and act like you want to, rather than you're being prevented to, you are much more likely to achieve your goal of being a little bit less sedentary and a bit more active. Um, so break those barriers is the first one. Yeah. And then the second one is make it fun. And so important. I was planning on talking about runners high, so I might just mention it here. This is a good time, I reckon, talking about fun and feeling good. Yeah, you feel good. You feel good when you do exercise, right? Yeah, yeah. You feel good after in particular, but during can be very enjoyable as well. If you're playing table tennis with your, you know, your brother in the garden, you can have some great times mucking around, laughing, and you don't realise how much fun you're having. So my top tip is make it fun. And talking about that run as high, because I wanted to talk about it, it's really important just to remember that you are dealing with your physiology here and you can actually, it's, like, it's basically like a physiology hack. I don't like using that phrase because let's be honest, you know, um, we can't hack our immune system, we can't yeah. hack anything, but it is a shortcut to feeling good. And the substance is created by exercise and the more intense the better, but any exercise does it, are akin to, you know, morphine, so endorphins comes from morphine within the body. So your body produces these little morphine compounds that stimulate the same places of morphine and give you that high. They also make substances that are like can cannabis, cannabinoids. Wow. So it literally gives you that relaxed, happy, pleasurable feeling that 
people who smoke cannabis seem to enjoy. And then there's also the third one, which is very like methamphetamine. Now, if you've heard of crystal meth, you know what mm-hmm. methamphetamine is. Well, yeah. there's amphetamines. One of uh, there's a substance which I think is called beta phenyl. Oh, I can't remember it well now. That's a phenyl ethylamine, but it's a substance that's an amphetamine. And basically what it does is it stimulates euphoria in much the same way that crystal meth does, but to a smaller extent. So you've got cannabis, crystal meth, and morphine in terms of the synthetic equivalents, the drug equivalents of the Mm -hmm. substance that you're producing when you exercise. So no wonder you feel amazing and you don't feel so much pain, discomfort, et cetera, et cetera. It's amazing. It really is. Because I mean, for you to go into that sort of level of detail, you know, you know about endorphins and that's where my sort of knowledge ends, you know, exercising, you create endorphins. Brilliant. But for mm. you to like talk about those synthetic materials and how it's, it's sort of akin to the materials in the drugs, it's just yeah. incredible. Really, really yeah. amazing, amazing your stuff. Body, your body is literally creating those kind of substances and you get it through exercise. You also get it from chocolate, sex and chili peppers, um, which sounds like an album I remember, but... Um, <laughs> It's, uh, it's, it's actually a substance that's totally worth chasing down. Um, and if you can do it by exercise, why not, huh? Yeah, 100%. I, I love, you know, finding, finding something that's fun for you. You know, and that right. doesn't necessarily have to be like a, a team sport, but for a lot of people it is. But finding that fun, because I think it's important, you know, we talk about people's relationship with exercise. Exercise shouldn't be seen or movement seen as a punishment. You know, or I, I ate a pizza last night, so I'm going to go for a run. It should be seen as something fun and something that we love to do because it makes us feel good and, and we're looking after ourselves. I think yeah. people getting in that headspace when they think about movement and exercise is, is really important and one of the big things that we want to take from this podcast. Yeah. So I couldn't agree more, John, though. You've put it really well. So, yeah, break those barriers and make it fun. And then the last one is just notice when you're sedentary. Yeah. Because as soon as you do that, then you can just stand up and not be sedentary literally for a, even a minute it doesn't take long to break that break that cycle and if you do that every 10 15 minutes you're not being sedentary and those effects that are negative of it just melt away and it's very easy to do brilliant um so we love questions we love people getting in touch with us um how can the listeners get in touch with uh, you dr alice if they got any any questions or any queries yeah, so do keep the questions coming in. It's been really interesting to delve into some of them. Um, mm. You can email me on alex.maxwell at melioramedicalgroup.co.uk. And then we've or got our website. You can get on our website, yeah. So yes. www.melioramedicalgroup.co.uk. Um, get on the website, contact details on there. Um, you know, we've got a comments box on there as well. You can post your questions on there and we see them. And as Alex said, it's been been amazing to delve into some of the questions and mm. you know sorry we can't read them all out on here but um we will try and respond to you uh, personally with your questions it's been so interesting to sort of hear what people have to say what people are thinking um i think all that's left to say is as it says on the screen now thank you to you dr alex maxwell once again blowing my mind um with your with your knowledge and uh, and how well you put it across um i love doing these because i just learned so much um, every single week so it's really a pleasure and thank you to you guys at home for for listening and supporting us um you know we're at the start of the journey it's a long way to go but we hope that you're enjoying it as much as we are um i've now been sat down and sedentary for about half an hour 
So I'm going to get off of my backside and uh, go and move. Alex, you should do the same. Thanks, guys. Good See you next week. Bye. Bye. Done. How do I stop recording now? <laughs>